Hi there, I'm Dan, and welcome, or welcome back, maybe, to the Shaw Vineyard Church Podcast. Hey, at the end of this episode, please take just a moment to subscribe in iTunes or in your podcast app of choice. That way, you can get every message from our church straight away on whatever device best suits you. You know, it's our hope that the message that you're about to hear in this episode would encourage you to take your best next step in your faith journey. So let's get straight into it. service and uh, in a previous life I guess I was an associate pastor here um, uh, for a number of years and uh, I, I still serve at this church and get to serve on the board and it's, um, it's really wonderful to see some faces this morning that I haven't seen in a long time. Um, my apologies, uh, I guess we had a, we had a global pandemic and, um, and during that time we, we had a kid and, um, and it just became and then I discovered like Sunday brunch, man. <laughs> Christians, like, they kind of miss out on like Sunday morning waffles. So that's been something, you know, every now and then I get to partake in that, um, which is exciting as well. Anyway, all of that to say, um, it's wonderful to be here. If you watched my sermon uh, from last week's evening service online, um, I'm sorry, today will be something of a, uh, a, a rendering of that sermon. Um, if you didn't, well, then just ignore everything I just said. This is a brand new sermon, um, <clears throat> and, and we're going to be uh, diving into that together. Um, if, you, uh, if you haven't been around for a while, our church is in this sort of year-long series at the moment, um, or, or, or even just like a sort of a journey together, this, exploring this idea of pilgrimage. What, what does it mean to be pilgrims journeying with and towards God? And um, over the last few weeks in particular, we've been doing this series called On the Road. So, and, so we've been looking at um, sort of pilgrim stories in the gospel uh, narrative, um, looking to just sort of draw particular things out of it. And so um, the different people who have been contributing have been have been tapping into stories that they find like a personal resonance with um, and sort of exploring their own pilgrim journey in that as well. And so I come to you as a, as a fellow journeyman this morning, um, sharing a little bit about I guess some of the things I'm drawn towards and a little bit about what my pilgrimage looks like this morning and hopefully um, I may be able to spur something uh, in your lives as well. Um, so starting over again, uh, a pilgrim's reconsideration of virtue and belief. What I want to do to uh, do, do this morning is is a look particularly at the story of Peter, but maybe at the disciples uh, a little bit larger, but particularly at Peter. I've always had this, this certain affinity for Peter, um, mostly because like sometimes he can be a bit of a muppet, um, and then other times he just has this like this wonderful sort of like zealousness for, for pursuing Jesus. You know, he's the first one to step out of the boat. He, you know, he sort of, he wants to put all of himself into this story. And so, and so the, you know, in many ways he seems, he seems like incredibly human. And so, so I find myself often just resonating with both the highs and the lows um, of Peter's journey. Um, so I want to look at Peter a little bit, and I want to look at, at, uh, at uh, Jesus' invitation that he extends to his disciples to follow him. Um, and so somehow along the way, these disciples end up at a point where they need the invitation of Christ again. Um, Finally, why is it a, a consideration and a reconsideration? Um, I think for me, this is a, I'm calling it a consideration because um, in, my, in my recent study, I've been doing a lot of like reading on psychology um, and, and sort of organizational leadership and, and just unpacking some things around that. And, and so I've, I've found myself sort of exploring my lens of belief and faith 
um, and, and sort of something that's slightly new. So it's, it's a consideration in that it's new. Um, but I'm calling it a reconsideration because in many ways it doesn't feel very new. Um, it actually just feels like it's, it's helping me sort of wrap language and articulate some things that have felt intrinsic to me or inherent to me for a really long time, but just, just trying to like put a little bit of skin around it a little bit. And so that's what I'm hoping to take you into this morning. So why don't we just spend a few moments praying and we'll get into the scriptures. So Lord, we just want to take this moment to uh, orient our hearts towards you. We ask that you would draw near to each one of us, that you would surround us with your love and your peace and your grace. For each of us who comes into this place this morning with a, um, a sense of angst or a sense of distance or a sense of discontent, Lord, we ask that you would just be close that you would grant us a moment of reprieve and comfort. Lord, let us sit this morning in your love. And Lord, I pray that this morning as we, as we, as we press into the scriptures, as we press, press into your story a little bit, I pray that we would hear your invitation once more. Amen. <coughs> Sorry, I'm also like on the, on the tail end of like recovering. Would it be possible to get a glass of water somewhere? <coughs> I guess I can. I guess I can throw demands out as the person up the front. Wonderful. <laughs> Matthew four eighteen to twenty says this: While walking by the Sea of Galilee, Jesus saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Matthew 4, 18 to 20. What we have here is um, a, a, an example of, of people being invited into the rabbinic tradition. Um, for anyone who hasn't sort of explored first century Israel or, or the sort of Jewish context a little bit, um, to become a rabbi, to be, to be invited to follow a rabbi or, to, or to, to begin the journey towards becoming a rabbi was was really like the ultimate goal for every young boy. And so all young boys from a very young age would, would, would study the Torah, and then if they, were, if, if they could prove that they were the best in that, thank you so much, Pauline, thank you. If, if they could prove that they were the best, then they would, then they would kind of go on to the next stage. And then, so this, this would just kind of go all through their sort of early years and into their early adolescence. And, and what would happen is most young boys would sort of drop off and they would return to their family businesses. They would return to their towns and they would, they would just t sort of t take up what they knew. And so we have an instance here of, of you know, um, probably some teenagers who were never quite good enough, never quite made the cut, but find themselves back in the boat, just, just plying their trade. And they have, in this instance, a rabbi coming to them, extending an invitation to follow. Um, for a long time, I always found it really strange that they just, they just sort of immediately um, got up and just, and just left. They left everything they knew. But, but actually, when you understand something of the rabbinic tradition, what, what was actually happening in that, um, you can kind of get it a little bit. It's like, this is an opportunity I can't afford to pass up. If a rabbi wants me to follow him, I'm going to do it. And at the heart of the rabbinic invitation um, was, was an invitation to, 
to take on board the rabbi's yoke. Every rabbi had their own yoke. What that meant was they had a, a particular worldview, a way of interpreting, a way of engaging with the texts. And they would kind of go around um, and they would, teach, they would teach and they would share their yoke and they would share their wisdom and they, and, and they would kind of engage with other rabbis and it would be kind of cool dialogues to sit in on and watch. And what they would do is they would invite some disciples to come and follow them and to take on that yoke to take on that worldview, to begin to embody it. The invitation of the rabbi was a three-part thing, to be with the rabbi, come and, come and be with them, come and soak in their life, soak it all up. And in the process of that, become like them, become like the rabbi. And then finally, after years of being, being with the rabbi and becoming like the rabbi, go and do what the rabbi does. And then if, if you were able to go through that process and you came out the other side as a rabbi, you then could, could bring all of your, your wisdom, all of your journeying, all of that to, to the, the process of shaping and discovering and forming your own yoke. So that is the invitation that we find for the disciples at the very beginning. That is why they get up from the boat and leave. And so ultimately, to follow a rabbi was to step into a life of having your character shaped by this person. It was a commitment to grow as a human and to be invested in a learning process. And so this is what the disciples are invited into for, for you know, approximately three years. They spend this time with Jesus. They journey with him. And it's always really, you know, one of the things I love is that it's, it's, um, it's, it's sort of rich with curiosity, this, this, this time that they have. If, if you look at the interactions between the disciples and Jesus, there's always so much dialogue, rich dialogue. There's always a lot of questioning. You know, Jesus isn't afraid of questions. And I've always loved that off like the 120-something um, you, you know, statements that we have of Jesus in the Gospels, over 90 of them are questions. So Jesus would be, well, what do you think? Who do you say I am? What do you think? What do you think is the point of that parable? There's this like dialogue that they're in God. There's this, there's this to and fro. It's wonderfully relational. It's deeply beautiful. And it moves them towards wisdom in a really profound way. All with the intent of, of developing their character, helping them grow into the story, and hopefully that they might discover the yoke of Jesus in, in a deeply meaningful way, that the story of Jesus, the, 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 the thing that he's trying to do, this, this, um, this establishing, this inaugurating of the kingdom of God, this alternative way of engaging with the Hebrew scriptures, this sort of new thing. You know, Jesus presented all kinds of new things. This is why Jesus was considered a heretic, you know, because his kind of yoke was pretty out there. It wasn't really for everyone. And yet, and yet he's inviting these people, come on, take, take on this yoke, come in and be a part of this story. And so for three years, we see that. <clears throat> and as we kind of go on, we see the disciples actually begin to get pretty excited about, I guess, the mess messianic vision of what they see happening. They have this very particular idea of, of who Jesus is and what Jesus is going to do. And we see this sort of culminate at a certain point when they're sitting there and, they, and the disciples begin to have an argument about who gets to sit at the right hand of Jesus when he takes the throne in Jerusalem. 
It's right. It's this very literal thing. In their mind, Jesus the Messiah is going to come and he's going to overthrow um, He's going to overthrow the Roman Empire, and he is going to take that throne, literally. And so they have this argument, well, who's going to get to kind of do this thing? And so that's where they're at. They think this particular version of events is going to happen. So they start to get very excited. But then things kind of go off a cliff. Because Jesus enters the city of Jerusalem, and then is arrested, then is tried for treason, and then dies a criminal's death on a cross. Everything the disciples were hoping for, excited for, longing for, believing for, falls apart. It's done. It's over. Nothing else. And so we find them here in John 21 um, <coughs> in a very different place. Just reading the first three verses of John 21. Verses 1 to 19. After Jesus revealed himself to this, uh, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. What we have here is an example of what happens when someone's belief systems completely fails. We see, we see a regression to a former life. The story, everything they were hoping for, believing for, it all kind of falls apart. And so in the disappointment, in the fear, in the anger, in the shame that they experience, they regress to an old life. That's what we see in the story of Peter. Where does he end up? Well, exactly where he was at the beginning, in a boat trying to catch fish. Why? Because he thought something was going to happen and it didn't. He was believing for something and it wasn't going to happen. Everything he believed about Jesus, what, 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 he, what he believed Jesus to be, what he believed Jesus was going to do, crumbles and falls apart. Ultimately, Peter feels let down by God. So what does he do? I can't take that yoke anymore. I'll just go back to my own life. We actually see that, fa- that sort of failure of his belief start even earlier in John 18. We find just, you know, while Jesus is being tried, we, saw, we see Peter on the outskirts of Jerusalem being questioned, and he distances himself from the story. No, 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 I'm not, I'm not a part of that. I'm not with him. And he denies Jesus three times. No, 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 no. And then, and then we sort of see this brokenness. We see him weeping as he, as, he knows, as he sort of sees this prophecy fulfilled. He's completely devastated. So we see a complete failure in his belief system. When I'm talking about belief, what am I talking about? I'm talking about um, some sort of opinion or conviction, uh, a confidence that we have in the depths of ourselves, in the truth or existence of something that is not immediately susceptible to rigorous proof. There was no evidence that Jesus was going to, to ride in and literally take over, uh, you know, overthrow the Roman Empire. There was no evidence of that, and yet they believed it. They deeply believed it. There was no evidence that either, any of them was going to get to occupy a right hand of a throne, and yet they believed it. This was the story they bought into. Their belief system, what they, what they pinned everything on, there wasn't anything to anchor themselves in it, 
other than their, their, their love for Christ, which I think, you know, deeply genuine and, and profoundly important. But we see this complete failure in what they've believed. What they thought was going to happen didn't happen. And so everything else, everything else crumbles around them. And so I want to ask, this is the question that I've been thinking about. Belief, is it a helpful thing to anchor ourselves in? And so this brings us to the concept of virtue. Virtue is defined as this. Uh, it's conformity of one's life and conduct to moral and ethical principles, uprightness and rectitude. I want to bring us back to what I was talking about at the very beginning. What is the invitation of the rabbi? What is the invitation of Jesus? It is to practice the way of Jesus, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. It's, a, it's an investment and a shaping and a forming of character. It moves a person from one place to another, and, and, it's, and it's ongoing. It never stops. It's not something you ever reach. But it's, it's always in sort of humility looking to go, how can I grow? How can I, how can I increase in what I do? And this, this is something that really got me. I was reading a psychologist, uh, a guy by the name of Adam Grant, and, um, and he says this, virtue is a better indicator of human capacity for growth than belief. Now, I want to say this. It's not wrong. I'm not, I'm not challenging the notion of having beliefs, of having convictions. Those are, those are, those are good things. But, they, but regardless of what statement of belief you adhere to, regardless of you know, what atonement theory you're about, what kind of eschatology you subscribe to, whether you're a young earth creationist or whatever, it doesn't, like, none of that matters. It might, be, it might be some sort of indicator of your identity, but it does not speak to the notion of character. It doesn't speak to who you are and how you conduct yourself and how you live and move and have being and influence within this world. Google any story about church or Christians and one of the first things that people see is like a dissonance between how Christians act and who they say they are. That's, like a, that's a deeply challenging thing for our time. And I think one of the deep challenges of this is that often we, we forget about virtue and we hang everything we are on the statement of belief. And the thing about belief is that it ultimately crumbles. Beliefs don't always stand up to the test of everything, you know, and, and sort of in reading uh, over the last few years about, you, you know, sort of like fundamental Christianity or something like that, one of the biggest things that drives people away is that for a long time, people can make a set of, a set of statements about who they believe God is and what they believe God is doing in their lives. And that can really work. You can sort of put these foundations in place and you can say, I believe this, this, and this, and this. And that can serve you really well until you experience some kind of trauma, until you experience... Um, some sort of shift until you learn something new. And then suddenly there's this internal like dissonance, this, this discontent, this discomfort. And people sort of talk about this idea of like deconstruction and, um, and you know, that becomes a, a bit of a buzzword. But the reality is it's because the fundamental system or the notion of like just anchoring yourself in beliefs begins to crack and fall apart. We see it in Peter. 
We see it in the disciples. Everything that they thought they believed about God wasn't true. They had a finite view of it. They had a closed view of it. And it began to crumble. And so we have to, I think, in in sort of looking at the story and considering the invitation of Christ, consider that it might not just be an invitation to make a statement about what you believe, but it might be an invitation to grow in who you are. It might be an invitation to grow in and toward Christ. I've been thinking a lot about this idea of repentance, right? Repentance becomes uh, something of a a scary word. In fact, I'd love to just do like a whole series on sin at some point because, you know, we have some funny views or understandings about what that is. But I've been thinking a lot about this idea of repentance, which which often I think we we sort of associate with like this sort of self-deprecating, you know, sort of like starting to talk real negatively about ourselves, it's quite like sort of, I don't know, whimpering or self-flagellating or something. It's just, it's a strange view of repentance for me. Repentance in the scriptures is this Greek word metanoia, which literally means the transformation of the mind. In Mark 1.15, Jesus says this, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and see. This idea of metanoia, of, of transformation of mind, is this idea of turning from a particular way of engaging and thinking about the world and turning towards something that is new, something that is more open, something that is anchored in humility, mercy, goodness, justice. This is what this transformation is about. Often, I think, when we think about this notion of, of repentance, we are thinking about uh, a spiritual transaction that occurs when we declare a belief. So often when we think about, we think about uh, repentance, we think about, okay, I'm going to come in, I'm, I'm going to stand at the front, I'm going to say these things, and I'm going to accept these belief things, and then, and then that's a transaction that will occur, and then, and, and then I will have repented. And I actually wonder if there's, there's more tied up in repentance than that if there's something richer in repentance than that, if there's actually not something more beautiful in repentance than that. I wonder if repentance can be recognized as an invitation to consciously and cognitively wire new neural pathways through commitment to practice and investment in virtue. I'm talking about a literal transformation of the mind. You know, scientists now are talking about neuroplasticity, this idea of like forming, forming new pathways in our brain. New, you know, so you, you, you decide to start a new habit. So, so you begin to practice this thing. And it becomes really hard at first, but then over time it becomes easier. And that's because as you do that, anytime you take on something new, your brain begins to, to effectively start to build a road. And the first time it does it, it's basically just sort of hacking its way through the forest. And then the next time you do it, it might, it might lay down a little bit of gravel. And then the third time, it's a little, little bit of chip seal. And then the fourth time, it begins to widen it out. Maybe this needs to be a two-lane pathway. And then over time, as you invest, it opens up and up, and it becomes a sort of six-lane motorway. It becomes easier. Habits become easier. And so part of the repentance process I want to I sort of appeal for this morning is to commit to grow in virtue. 
a commitment to grow in character? What are the areas that you are being invited to become more like Jesus in? Is it generosity? Is it hospitality? Is it, the, is it the practicing of justice? Is it looking for things to do in your community? Is it being more committed and engaged with the work you're doing between nine to five, Monday to Friday? What is it? What is the invitation for you to, to, to grow in and towards the character of Christ in? So repentance then is an opportunity for us to reconsider invitation. I want to take us back just a little bit to the end of John 21. Uh, From verse 15 onwards. Uh, When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And so, you know, one of the beautiful things about this is that it's kind of this like sort of... uh, theologically restorative moment between Jesus and Peter because of Peter's denial. Um, but I've also just, I think, come to see this like, like a, 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 lot, a lot more simply. I think it's a case of, of, of Jesus extending, extending a challenge. It's like, well, do you, do you love me, Peter? Well, yeah, I do. Okay, well, then I want, I want you to feed my sheep. Well, I want you to find where justice needs to happen. I want you to go and do it. So Peter, I'm asking you, do you love me? Yeah. Yeah, I love you. You know I do. Well, tend to, tend to my flock. Go and do what needs to be done. Just go and live it. Peter, do you love me? Well, I can't believe you'll ask me again, but yes. Well, then do the mahi. Are you invested in this? Are you buying into the story? Go, go find a way to do it. That's how, that's how this scripture has been coming to me a bit lately. It's just, just do the mahi. If this is a statement about who we want to be as people, rather than about what we want to believe, then the invitation is to invest in virtue. To make a deposit into like, who we want to be as, as, as apprentices of Christ. That is what we are invited to. This little image here is, um, is a little piece of art by a, a guy I really like called Scott Erickson, Scott the painter. We've displayed some of his art here before. Um, but I love this idea of just the, the open hand, the open hand of Christ, the hand that is extended to us. The hand that says, come, follow me. Will you come with me? Will you come and be with me? Do you want to become like me? Come and live the way I have? I love that that hand is always open. In John 21, uh, verse 19, after having, after having had this dialogue with Peter, 
after sort of challenging him on it all, you know, he sort of finishes up. He says, after saying this, Jesus said to him, follow me. I'd I'd never picked up on that before. If I had it, it's been a long time since I had. But the importance of starting over again, of returning to the invitation. Why? Because we become different people. The way we go through life, it's like, I became a Christian when I was 17 years old. What I believe about God now compared to then is way different. Way different. But do I believe I'm still growing towards Christ? Yeah, I do. And so the number of times I've felt like I've had to start over again, like sometimes it's felt like I've returned and the only thing I have after sort of all the theology study I've done, after all the things I've, I've sort of been and seen and engaged with in this world, after all the church services I've sat through, sometimes it's felt like the invitation is all that there is. Will you follow me? Sometimes it's really hard. Sometimes I have a moment like, sometimes I have moments like Peter where I feel like God is dead or the concept of God is dead or like what I believe about God is like, you know, like we have those moments of sort of crippling doubt and frustration and anger. But for me still, for me still, the invitation of Christ is always there. The open hand, always there, extended to us, inviting us. Will you follow me? And this is what Jesus presents. We're always in a different place, but will you, will you follow me? Will you come on this journey with me? And so we reconsider repentance as invitation. And we step towards it. Hey, once again, thanks for listening. And if you're in the Forest Hill or the Bays area of Auckland's North Shore, we would so love to have you at our next service this Sunday. You can get details on service times and more info on our kids and student environments by visiting svc.org.nz. That's svc.org.nz. Hope you have a great day and we'll see you next time here on the podcast.